As consumers, we are bombarded by it at every turn, like the Incredible Hulk being bombarded by gamma rays. But what makes some media endure, while others are banished to the forgotten black hole of obscurity, never to be heard from again? Who or what decides this? Hetero life mate Steve and Yehel want to know, and they want to know now. This is Obscurity Now. now, now, now. And welcome back, Obscurians, to another episode of Obscurity Now, the show where we take a look at weird and almost forgotten pieces of media, and we decide if they should be remembered for all of human history or tossed into the black void of obscurity, never to be heard from again. My name is Steve, and with me is a man who's always asking his boy Ice-T for favors. It's... Uh, I, it's actually, uh, I would prefer to be addressed as the president of the, uh, assistant, uh, district <laughs> attorney club. That was a fun line. That was a fun line. Uh, yeah, there, there's quite a few quips and one liners oh, yeah. uh, in the, uh, film that we're going to cover today, Ricochet, which I believe was, uh, the inspiration behind Ricochet, the wrestler's name. <laughs> uh, I don't think it is, but, um, I mean, I don't think it is. Yeah. Either. I mean, <laughs> I, I thought he was called Ricochet because he, like, bounces off of everything. But, I mean, if you think about it, the title of this movie doesn't really have... There's no Ricochets in it. I mean, I guess you could say that... Uh, how can you just, like... So, John Lithgow, he, you know, he got thrown in prison first. And then he comes around and ruins Denzel Washington's life. So, it's like a... A ricochet. Does that make sense? Yeah, I think it's supposed to be like a what goes around comes around kind of a thing. Exactly, exactly, yes. Um, and, uh, man, a boy does it. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so should we just uh, jump right into it? Oh, wait. Yeah, uh, yeah. Let's... Before we do, I always forget to encourage people to subscribe. Uh, that's always good. And by the time uh, people are listening to this, I'll be at San Diego Comic-Con trying to sell the only copy ever of, <laughs> of oh. Obscurity Now. One episode on CD, and it's the only one short oh. enough, yes, where we made fun of Dark Hawk number one. Uh, I don't have a DVD burner. I borrowed a, an old laptop from uh, my wife's uh, aunt, which uh, allowed me to uh, burn some CDs. And yeah, this is like the only one that would fit. So oh, wow. it says the best. You know, you could have probably just burnt. You probably just could have you uh, put MP3s on there because most modern CD players will play MP3 files. Oh, hmm. And then you could have that is put on uh, the whole catalog but <laughs> onto a CD. Maybe, maybe if you would have consulted with me, Steve. Uh, but go ahead, C- keep creating physical media oh, uh, of us. I will unbeknownst probably to me. never do that again. It's. It costs way more than I thought just to make a few like, random seats. Just a big, uh, I mean, it wasn't really expensive, more just like a pain in the ass. But, um, I mean, really. Yeah, I was going to say, like, see. Yeah, I mean, really the whole purpose of this is so someone sees it um, on my table at the convention and goes, what's obscurity now? And I go, oh, I'm glad you asked. And then I can tell them all about mm-hmm. it, and hopefully they'll scan the QR code to, you oh, know, nice. check us out. I mean, I don't think anyone is actually going to buy cds of obscurity now or ray can't sleep they're really just there to start the conversation 
about the podcast yeah. themselves. But uh, all right. So uh, enough about that. I mean, did you have anything? I mean, we didn't even talk about the fact that we're, <laughs> should we even mention that like we're 100% job free here on Obscurity now? Is that? Uh... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you were recently uh, vacated from your job mm-hmm. and I was laid yeah, off. So yeah. <laughs> uh, pretty exciting times. We may be uh, sitting in the gutter, but we're looking at the stars, you hell. Looking at the stars. <laughs> uh, so uh, yeah, let's, uh, go ahead and do this thing. It's time for Ricochet. Welcome to your feature presentation. All righty. Uh, so uh, Ricochet premiered October 4th, 1991. It's rated R and clocks in at one hour and 42 minutes. Uh, and uh, I don't think you, you don't really have any history. You've never seen Ricochet before, have you? I've never even heard of this movie. Yeah, it's uh, it's weird. It's like you've got an A-plus cast. I mean, this is obviously like a Hollywood production, which we're about to see who, who was in the cast and who made it. And I've uh, never heard of it. And I kept uh, it kept popping up on Tubi. And, like, just looking at the cover, like, what kind of movie do you think you're getting um, by looking at the the Ricochet cover? Like, with just with Denzel on there pointing his gun. I mean, I, I would just think it's a cop action movie, which, I mean, it, it starts off very uh, pedestrian. I, I was actually pretty bored in the first half, to be honest, mm-hmm. um, to the point where I started watching it, like, at 1.3 speed. Mm-hmm. Uh but yeah, and, and that is kind of what you get at first. Right. I mean, I, I think, you know, you see Denzel, he's like mostly known for uh, drama, I would say. Um, and uh, yeah, and he's holding his gun. I'm just like, oh, this is going to be some sort of, uh, you know, crime drama, basically. <clears throat> and yeah, it starts off like that until he takes off his clothes. <laughs> I'd say like at least that was like sort of the first uh, sort of sign to me that this was going to be a little bit more than your standard uh, police procedural. Um, But uh, before we go uh, too deep, like uh, are you do you consider yourself a Denzel Washington fan? I mean, he's got Equalizer 3 coming out. I've never seen any of those movies. Oh, I was going to say, for some reason, I thought you were, like, obsessed with the Equalizer movies or something. No, Because you you just knew a lot of random stuff about it. You're like, you knew uh, other stuff that that guy had written. You you sounded excited. I mean, Uh, I want to watch them eventually. I I just think it's interesting that this 80s show, The Equalizer, still exists, like, to this day. um, That, you know, other people just sort of took up the mantle and, uh, and went with it. Um, but, uh, but, but what about, uh, Denzel? Do you remember like the first Denzel Washington movie you ever saw? Um, I, I don't know if this is the first one of his I saw, but the first one I can remember is glory. Oh, um, me too. <laughs> and and I think it's because we watched it in school. Right. Right. And I remember that film the most, uh, because a man's head gets blown off by a cannonball in the film. <laughs> yeah. It's very sad movie. Too. Yeah, no, no head explosions. <laughs> <laughs> but no, yeah, I think that's basically like most uh, people's introduction, at least who are our age, uh, to Denzel Washington. And, um, and I think uh, maybe the Pelican Brief. I, I think he was in that one. Um, yeah, I think he was. Um, 
But I think at that point he was already a pretty big star. Yeah. I think when yeah, yeah. Pelican yeah. Brief came out, but I don't know. Um, I, I'm not like the. Um, I, I mean, I like Denzel. He's obviously a very good actor. Mm-hmm. But I'm not like, oh, I'm going to go see this movie because Denzel is in it. Right. Uh, but I, I'm not really like that about any actor for the most part. Right, right. I mean, I, I agree with most of the stuff that you said there. And basically, he's in like too too much high class stuff for me until I saw this film. <laughs> yeah, I think that might be my problem. Yeah, too. yeah. Like there is nothing. I mean, this, he does good work and the movies he's in are pretty good. Just mo- most of them are forgettable, obviously, aside from glory and its head exploding scene. Um, I remember I really liked that. Um, I think it's called Flight, where he played like a. Uh, mm, yeah, yeah, that was pretty good. I saw Yeah, that. yeah, I really. The alcoholic um, pilot. Pilot. Yes, yeah, that's what it should have been called. Like more people would have. Alcoholic, <laughs> alcoholic pilot <laughs> starring Denzel no, Washington. Even better, alcoholic airlines. It's like, you know, you're yeah, getting a yeah. drunk pilot with every flight. And it's using like the American Airlines logo, like like a rip off of it. Yeah, see, you know what's brilliant. Did you did you know though that in Pelican Brief that John Lithgow is also in Pelican Brief? I didn't. I completely forgot that he was in there. Yeah, he's in it, and Casey Biggs is in it uh, of uh, Star Trek: Deep Space Nine. <laughs> wow! <laughs> wow! Okay. Well, I hope someone appreciates that. Um, but uh, all right, here's the synopsis for Ricochet. A district attorney is terrorized by the criminal he put away years ago when he was a cop. And uh, this this is directed by Russell Mulcahy. And I'm so glad we finally get to talk about him. He directed Highlander 1 and 2, uh, The Shadow. And some of his later stuff uh, is uh, Resident Evil Extinction. I've never seen that one. Have you watched that one by any chance? Resident Evil Extinction? Yeah, it's like the one... I might have. Yeah, it takes place in the future, like a Mad Max style Resident Evil or something. Oh, yeah, I, I do think I saw that one. Do you remember? And I think I saw the one after, because I think they, like, tie into each other. Is Extinction any good? But I've always wanted to see it. I don't I don't remember, man, like, because um, the thing is, like, with these Resident Evil movies, I, I you know, because they didn't just name them one, two, three, four, five, right. whatever... Like, I can't remember which ones I saw, like, what order I saw them in. Um, I, I have no opinions. Uh, but when I watch those Res- Resident Evil movies, I, I go in not expecting a good movie. Oh, yeah. They're anyway. usually pretty bad, for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's just, oh, I want to watch something dumb that I can turn my brain off that'll have some uh, interesting action scenes. Because there's usually, like, a few, like, over-the-top, you know, kind of dumb fun action sequences so uh that that's what i expect from my resident evil but uh are you familiar with any of the works from uh russell mulcahy i mean aside from highlander one and two no steve tell me about your surrogate father's career (laughs) i wish (laughs) i mean that's basically it i mean he started out directing uh, tons of like classic uh music videos uh he did like uh duran duran i think rio just like uh he he was like the guy back in the eighties. And, um, then he did a Australia cause he's Australian. He did a, a horror movie called a uh, razorback and then somehow worked his way to Highlander. And it looks like he's still work working pretty steadily today. The last thing he did was teen wolf, the movie of the TV series. So not teen wolf, the movie from the eighties, it's teen wolf, the movie of the TV series. Do you understand what I'm saying here? 
Yeah, I do understand what you're saying because I used to run commercials for it on Paramount Plus. I think I'm pretty sure that's what it was on. Uh-huh. But uh, I, I did see he also directed um, the straight to DVD Scorpion King 2. Yeah. Rise yeah. of a Warrior uh, that has one of the lowest IMDb scores I've ever seen. 3.8. That is. Yeah, he's had a, I mean, an interesting career with peaks and valleys, but still uh continues to work pretty steadily uh it seems um but uh anyway enough of uh, russell mulcahy though one day we will return and do highlander 2 because it's been on the list for a long time but uh anyway yeah uh moving on to uh the writer the guy who actually did the screenplay because the story was actually conceived by some other guys i'll get to them in a second but this is written by Stephen E. D'Souza. We've already discussed uh, his work on the Cadillacs and Dinosaurs episode, but here's a refresher in case you don't know who this legend is. He did Die Hard 1 and 2. He wrote and directed Street Fighter. That's right, the Street Fighter (laughs) with Van Damme. Um, He also directed uh, Commando with Arnold Schwarzenegger, The Running Man, and an episode of uh, Knight Rider. And, I mean, I could go on and on about uh, Stephen E. D'Souza and uh, a little uh, trivia about Ricochet here. In your research, did you see that this actually takes place in the Die Hard universe? (laughs) No. Yep. Why? uh, I mean, there's no connection that I saw. Oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. You didn't look hard enough. My my good man, the uh, the blonde reporter. Her name re- escapes me at the moment. She plays the same character in Die Hard. So there you go. Oh, okay. There's, there's your connection. But doesn't it feel? Oh, can't wait for the uh, Ricochet Die Hard team up movie. Uh, shared uh... universe. It's the D'Souzaverse is what it is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean uh, Stephen E. D'Souza. I mean he was the man through the '80s and the '90s. Um, and uh, but the story for Ricochet here was uh, actually first conceived by Fred Deckard and uh, Mino Mias. Are you familiar with the work of Fred Decker by any chance? Uh, not really. All right. But I'm sure you're going to enlighten me. Oh. Uh, well, no, that's that's not true. Um, I did know that he had written or I think he had like a story maybe that was bought for uh, Star Trek Enterprise or a few of them, because I, I do remember re- recognizing his name, so naturally I checked to see. Uh, anytime I recognize any name, Steve, whether it's on an IMDb page, if it's in the newspaper, uh, at a family reunion, I check to see on if the, they were on Star if Trek. If it's spray-painted on the side of the wall, you'll check to see If it. I recognize it, I'm like, hmm, <laughs> were they on Star Trek? <laughs> uh, hmm, DJ Beatbox, hmm, let me go check. <laughs> oh, so, he, yeah, he yeah, was he, in Star he, Trek. He, yeah, he he. Uh, yeah, I just confirmed he he uh, has three writing credits on Star Trek Enterprise, and uh, but that's not the last Star Trek connection that we'll have. Oh, interesting. Well, uh, Fred Decker, aside from being a uh, pretty good writer, he had a awesome career going for a minute there as a director. He uh, tell me you've at least seen um, the Halloween classic Monster Squad. I've never seen. Oh, well, well, we're going to have to do that one this Halloween because it's it's great. Then he has another horror film, uh, Night of the Creeps. And then like those were like two sort of cult classic films that like everybody. I mean, I guess aside from yourself, who's never seen it, hold in really high regard. And then he did RoboCop three and it bombed and he never directed again. (laughs) 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 Poor bastard. Uh, But uh, oh, well. 
And that Mino Mejas guy, the, apparently the only other writing he ever did was on Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Uh, and I guess he didn't really have a huge role. But uh, enough of that. Uh, who were some of the thespians who brought Ricochet to life? Well, we've already mentioned one, uh, Denzel Washington. Um, obviously, he's been in a million things. He's got the Equalizer 3, which I, is either already out or coming out very, very shortly. Mm -hmm. uh, Steve is going to masturbate to that movie, <laughs> from what I understand is the plan. No, no, absolutely not. Oh, okay. I, or maybe somebody, maybe Jonathan Lithgow will frame you for masturbating to the movie. Uh, it's, speaking, it's me, Steve. You, you put me in prison and I'm going to frame you for masturbating to the equalizer. <laughs> All right. So uh, speaking of John Lithgow, um, he plays the bad guy uh, whose character's name is... Uh, Earl Talbot Blake, but he's just pretty much referred to as Blake mm -hmm. throughout the movie. And all I could think about is every time we said Blake is Hulk Hogan's character in um, uh, Santa with Muscles because his name is Blake. Oh. It's like Blake Thorne or something like that. <laughs> and But they always call him just Blake, and I don't know. Wow. That's all I could think of. But anyways, John Lithgow, I think most people actually will know him more from uh, Third Rock from the Sun. Yeah, um, yeah, we should definitely he's... talk about John Lithgow uh, for a minute because, yeah, prior to Third Rock from the Sun, he was, like, one of the main actors to go to if you want, like, a really bad, bad guy, like, a just a sinister... Which is so strange. I mean, see, I, see, I saw him as that stuff before Third Rock from the Sun, so I thought it was strange when he started doing comedy, but it just shows his range. Well, yeah, no, obviously he's got a, I don't know if this is maybe the best. Oh, no, uh, it is. Showing of his range, oh, no, but um, awesome. I, uh, I, I, yeah, I mean, I had never seen him as a bad guy um, before, so it was definitely interesting. He definitely gives it his all. Always does. Uh, you know, he, he has some questionable uh, material <laughs> at times in this film. And he really does his best, as does Denzel. They, they both, like, you know, do their best. These guys make the material better than it Are really is. Are you questioning Stephen E. D'Souza and his... Uh... Yes, I am. What? Well, all right. Yes, well, we'll have to see. But uh, I think the last great bad guy that John Lithgow played, and there may have been others, uh, but... Lord Farquaad? Well, I mean, he, from Shrek. he was good, but I was going to say, did you see him season three of Dexter? I've never watched that. What? So. Uh, well, well, that's not true. I watched like an episode and I was like, eh, I don't like this. All right. Well, uh, I think that's enough of John Lithgow for now. <laughs> okay. <I'm, laughs> Get his name you, out I'll of your mouth. <laughs> All right. We've got Ice-T. Uh, who plays, uh, what was his character's name? And not, not that it really Odessa. matters, but Odessa. Um, he plays like a, he's a friend of Denzel Washington's character from back in the day, mm -hmm. but also runs a giant crack operation <laughs> uh, out of a warehouse that he willingly lets be blown up at the end. Wait, Anyways. Save it for later. <laughs> all right, all right. So um, he's been in 516 episodes of Law and Order. Wow. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That sounds like steady work. Uh, I'd like that someday. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, he had his rap career, his metal career. Actually, it just uh, this year, Megadeth put out an album, and he uh, he's on one of the tracks uh, doing some vocals. I love Body Count. You ever listen to Body Count? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Um, but yeah, and it's actually a pretty good, pretty good Megadeth album, hmm. uh, which most Megadeth albums are fine. Just don't pay attention to the lyrics because they are stupid. Uh, Hello, me. Meet the real me. <laughs> well, we should have an episode on Megadeth lyrics, actually. Uh, I mean, I, I would have to, I'd have to do a little uh, studying, but sure, sure. I, I can just, I can just send you the songs to read the lyrics to or listen to, or and we'll and then read we can... the lyrics online, or I mean, during the podcast. Is that what you're saying? And make fun of them. It, it'll be, yeah. It, do you remember when we found that ICP knockoff, uh, Twisted? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And how much fun we had just reading his lyrics. <laughs> yes, yes, I do. It, it would be like that. Um, it would be hey, a good time. I'm, I'm sold. Sounds great. Actually, we should probably do a twisted episode now that I think about it. Although there's so much cursing and uh, racism. Yeah, we'll lyrics. figure it out. <laughs> um. Anyways, up next we've got Kevin Pollock, uh, who plays Larry Doyle. Uh, he's Denzel's partner and best friend. Um, Kevin Pollock, I like a lot. And uh, the first time I really liked him was in a Schwarzenegger movie called End of Days. Oh, yeah, he was. Man, I completely forgot he was in that. But when I was. I love that movie. Yeah, that's a that's a fun one. That was before, like, the Schwarzenegger brand got completely tarnished. <laughs> but oh, I don't know. That's 1999. I mean, well, I'm just saying. Well, yeah, I the guess movies after that were not very good. Like that was like one at least that I consider to be pretty good. Yeah, I, I do too. And uh, Schwarzenegger's performance, from what I re- recall, was pretty good too. Yeah, he was. I I don't know. Eh. This might be a hot take, but I I feel like he's an underrated actor. Well, he was definitely trying during the his later years. Um, as you know, it's like when the Undertaker started having like real matches in his later years. Uh, but <laughs> um, but no, like I was recently rewatching Commando. Oh man, he's so like hilariously bad. He just looks confused yeah. half the time. Like uh, doesn't doesn't emote. It, it's great. That the commando's so good. But uh, anyway, well, uh, Kevin Pollock. He's been in a bunch of things. The Usual Suspects, another great movie. Um, I guess most recently he was in Billions. Um, but uh, yeah, he's still pretty active in the acting world. Lots of TV shows. He's in. 32 episodes of The Marvelous Mrs. Mizell, Moisel, uh, Moistel, I don't know how it's pronounced. <laughs> I thought it was Maisel, uh, but I, what do I know? Sure, that makes more sense the way it's spelled. <laughs> <laughs> then we've got Jesse Ventura. Uh, he plays the character of, um, he's barely in the movie, but I love that it's you a fun appearance. him, yeah. Uh, it's like Chowalski, I think was his name, mm. his character's name, something like that. Uh, anyways, Jesse Ventura, actor, governor, all-around crazy person, former wrestler. (laughs) Conspiracy Um, fact person, not theorist. Yeah. Fact. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Then we've got, I'm I'm not going to go through, this is a big cast, so I'm just going to kind of name. Yeah, just just the highlights. Yeah, I'm just going to name two more that I think are pretty notable. Uh, We have John Amos, uh, famous for creating Amos cookies, I believe. (laughs) I knew it. Famous Amos. I knew it. (laughs) <laughs> nah, he, I, I actually really like John Amos a lot. He's been in a bunch of stuff, um, comedies, drama stuff. Uh, he's a, he's like a very, very solid actor. Ne- never cast as the leading man, mm-hmm. but when you see his face, you recognize him. He's, 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 got, he's got that Bruce Greenwood thing going. Oh, you know? we'll, uh, we'll cast him as your dad in the movie of your life. Yeah, that'd be great. He, <laughs> he, he's, uh, he plays a great father. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Um, then well, wait, the other person, aren't I you to go- the preacher's son also? 
No, no. Yeah, kind of. Yeah, my, my dad was a minister. Not just uh, like on, well, but my dad would moonlight as a minister. <laughs> uh, he wouldn't do that as his real as his real job because he wanted to make money. I guess. I uh, see. Not that you can't make money as a minister because obviously you yeah, can, but you gotta... he actually earnestly believed the lies he was uh, hmm. <laughs> brainwashing people with. Wow. Alrighty. Anyways, religion's terrible. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, then we've got the last person I want to go over is John Cothran. Mm-hmm. Um, his character is Councilman Ferris. Mm-hmm. He's kind of this character that's trying to get Denzel's Washington's character um, to basically go into politics. Yes, He's yes. kind of moving him and trying to move him in that direction. Um, I, however, know this man from Star Trek. <laughs> He's been in an episode of Star Trek Enterprise. He was in an episode of um, uh, Star Trek uh, Deep Space Nine. He was in an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation. He technically plays the same character in both of those, How the same Klingon character. However, in Deep Space Nine, he plays the Mirror Universe version mm. of that character. little fun fact. Uh, he was also in two Star Trek games, Star Trek Klingon and Star Trek Borg. And we should probably cover Star Trek Borg one day. Uh, Star Trek Klingon's pretty good too, um, but uh, basically they're FMV games, oh. but they're like FMV PC games from the mid '90s done right. Like they're very entertaining. Uh, in the Borg one, John Delancey is Q in it, nice. and he's in it a lot and very hammy. <laughs> um, uh, but anyways, John Cothran, he's been he's also been in a bunch of stuff. He's got. <clears throat> 118 credits to his name. Another, he's kind of another one of those guys that, like, you see his face, you recognize him, uh, but but you don't know what he's from. Well, I know what he's from because he's in Star Trek. Right, but. of course. Uh, and as far as I'm concerned, that kind of is the cast, Steve. I don't know if there's anybody else that you felt was important to highlight. Nope, uh, but the, that is the end of our Star Trek connections, correct? Yes. All right, here yes. it comes. Ah! Oh, no! We've just entered another... Star Trek Connection! Ah! Alrighty. Uh, so, basically, uh, the movie starts out with uh, Denzel Washington uh, playing a round of uh, basketball with partner Ke- Kevin Pollack against um, the aforementioned Ice-T, a.k.a. Odessa. And um, just right off the bat, I really liked how like pointlessly complicated the um, basketball game was shot. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like the camera's like following the ball. Yep. And which would be okay, except that the some of the guys on the court are doing all these fancy in-between leg dribbles and the camera's just like shaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. Yep. This is a great movie to watch if you uh, want to be uh, filled with nausea in the first few minutes. <laughs> I don't know, know if I'd go that far. Uh, well, watch it at 1.3 speed and get back to it. <laughs> uh, so basically, um, yeah, so at this point, I would, I would say it's. I still thought this was going to be like a, uh, you know, a straight-up crime drama. And um, basically young, uh, you know, Denzel, he notices that uh, Odessa's car uh, was stolen he's like, yeah, I don't think we're going to play basketball anymore. And then he goes and hits on a a local girl who was just watching the game. And there's a lot of fun uh, sort of a dialogue uh, between the two. Um, He was telling her that he wants to be president, but he needs a first lady. And uh, (laughs) just just a really (laughs) fun dialogue. Uh, Any um, any comments on the opening scene there? 
No, there's some, uh, well, <laughs> no, but here's some commentary. Uh, yeah, like throughout this basketball game, like Ice T uh, and Denzel are like kind of quipping at each other. Mm-hmm. Uh, and basically, like the team that Denzel is on, uh, you know, they're from the street and they're, they're, they're tough guys and they're like clearly like fouling the other team repeatedly on purpose. Mm-hmm. Like at one point, doesn't Ice T like knee? denzel in the in the stomach yeah something like uh, that yeah uh, yeah and and the thing is like the dialogue as soon as like they started talking to each other i was like oh oh a white guy wrote this movie oh uh, wow. no no doubt about it but i don't know it, like it didn't really stand out to me as badly as say like uh mantis shut or Shadowhawk. Yeah, or Shadowhawk. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, no, but I, I, I was like, ooh, I, I think a white guy wrote this because it's like, it sounded like, particularly, it sounded like a guy from like a, an older white guy from the 90s trying to write like, quote unquote, like urban slang for like, you know, a black character that's supposed to be from the streets. Well, there was a lot of that um, going and, on in the 90s, apparently. <laughs> yeah. And then as the movie, you know, in later parts of the movie, it becomes very obvious uh, in fact, towards the end, I um, I said, okay, a white guy definitely wrote this. And that's when I checked the writers. And I was like, yep. And that's when I saw Derek's name. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> a white guy from Star Trek. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, but, I mean, it's fine. Uh, you know, Denzel uh, dunks. Of course. Um, He's the hero. He must. W- we get an upskirt shot of his from his shirt <laughs> and see his abs and uh, while he's hanging down from the the rim and yeah like you said he flirts heavily with alice Mm -hmm. uh fun fact uh denzel worked out three hours a day apparently uh in order to be in good enough shape for his (laughs) many shirtless scenes in this movie really yeah yeah that's what it said yeah i mean i mean don't get me wrong he looks you know he's in great shape Mm -hmm. but you don't need to work out three hours a day like he wasn't like that well you know don't they say that all the time for like every role that requires like a physical appearance now especially for superhero movies they're like oh well but those kind of make sense because those guys are like usually super bulking up like he's just like really lean in this movie and i mean he's got a little bit of muscle but you know what it could have been that he only had a certain amount of time to get into the shape right right exactly uh, so now we are at like a, a local carnival, um, and uh, basically he and um, uh, Larry, Ke- Ke- Kevin Pollock's character, they're walking through talking about Star Trek. I think this is the scene where they talk about Star Trek. Oh, wait a minute. I This lady is in Star Trek. Which lady? Uh, the, the love interest. Oh, his, his wife? His future Alice. wife? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, she's in an episode of TNG. I think she's like a, <laughs> like has like a line or something. Oh, and you skipped yeah, I, over her. Yep, How she, dare you? Yep, she, she, yep, she played a ballerina, mm-hmm. um, in uh, where no one has gone before, season one, episode. Anyways, but yeah, they, yeah. Then weirdly enough, Kevin Pollock starts talking about Star Trek: The Original Series. Uh, I guess he's a big fan of it. He does a pretty awesome uh, Shatner impression, don't you think? Uh, well, he does the typical Shatner impression, right. but if you actually watch Star Trek, I mean, there's only like well, a handful of scenes you, where he you, talks. You were triggered. Like that. I see. I see. You were triggered. It's okay. Uh, no, no, no. It's fine. It's fine. Hey, but when I do a Kirk, I mean, I do the same type of impression. Right. Like, oh, ah, uh, here is my Captain Cook. Yeah. But well, he really doesn't talk. Like no, it's that. true. But I mean, that was like that's like one of those 
90s jokes or impressions that like everyone had back then and you're right it is always the same and you're right he very seldomly talks that way um but uh yeah so they're walking through like it's like a great sort of tracking shot uh you get the full scope of the of the fair I guess this movie is brought to you by Pepsi because they go over and buy a Pepsi and it's like fully labeled and everything. Uh, meanwhile, there's some uh, shady dudes um, having a dealing in like a, uh, a warehouse nearby. Uh, it looks like, I don't know, Yakuza meeting up with, uh, was it like Mexican guys possibly, if I remember correctly? Yeah, I mean, some kind of Hispanic guys. Uh, right. I, I think when they were speaking Spanish, it sounded to me like it was with a Mexican uh, accent. Right. Uh, I mean, not that it, not that it matters. They're just bad guys. You don't even know their race. <laughs> but uh, so pulling up to the side in a Cadillac is. Well, it kind of does matter, Steve, because uh, when Jonathan Lithgow pulls up like you're about to talk about and he basically blows them away. Mm-hmm. But it, later we find out John Lithgow's character is like a Nazi Aryan racist. Not only that. No. He's worse than them. <laughs> like the whole this whole movie is showing us how he's worse than like everyone. Like a- as we're gonna see. Um, yeah. But yeah, he basically uh, shows up. He's got his uh, sidekick. Shoot, I forgot his name. Um, do I'll, I'll look it up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you, you, you... And I mean, I have to say, uh, Kim. Kim. It... Kim. It's a guy, but named Kim. Like, played by Josh Evans, I, too. I guess I should have covered it. If I have one complaint about this movie, um, it's that that guy's part is kind of useless. Is in it? Yeah. He, <laughs> he's Not only is he annoying, but it's also kind of useless because his character doesn't do anything. It's almost as if, like, somebody's a friend or, like, son, uh, family member, like, needed a role, so they just threw him in there. Um, and he's not very good. No, he's not. And um, and basically, he's just there to be threatened by uh, Blake, a.k.a. Uh, John Lithgow. Um, and I don't maybe he's there so, you know, we can hear Lithgow's plans or something instead of just uh, I don't it's just someone for him to talk to. I, 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 I think he's there so that Jonathan Lithgow isn't monologuing. Yeah, yeah. That's what I'm uh, saying. To himself. Yes, exactly. Plans. Um, so he <laughs> John Lithgow, a.k.a. Earl. He tells Kim to wait in the car uh, because he's like too loud and too inexperienced, whatever. He walks in on this uh, deal, this uh, drug deal or money deal, whatever it is, and proceeds to blow everyone away with a shotgun with ease. Like, what were your what were your thoughts about this scene at this point about and about the movie in general? Oh, man. I mean, it's pretty over the top because, like, you know, when he like shoots a guy with the shotgun their chests explode oh, basically beautiful glorious squibs like everywhere yeah, they explode yeah they explode and the guys you know fly back you know like 10 feet mm-hmm. so it's one of those kind of things the only thing missing was uh dust powder blood dust you know how like uh movies do that uh like uh, equilibrium is uh notorious oh, for yeah. it i think this is before they started doing that Man, we should cover Equilibrium. Yeah, yeah, it's a good movie. We can, uh, uh, whoops, spoiler alert. But yeah, yeah, we should do that. But uh, yeah, so when this shootout happened, I mean, I was uh, definitely on on board for this movie because I was like, yes, this is the kind of over-the-top stuff that that I definitely enjoy. Um, And then he pointlessly, I mean, I shouldn't say pointlessly, 
you get a slow-mo jump through the window. Earl, he jumps through the window. And uh, so in slow motion, it's just 90s excess filmmaking, basically. Yeah, his fall is broken by, like, some kind of awning mm. thing with balloons on it. I don't know. It didn't really seem like it would break anyone's fall. No. But um. But, but anyways, he, he yeah yeah he makes it down to the ground and uh, I, at this point like Denzel heard the shots. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's like the only person that heard the shots somehow. Of course. At, at this carnival. Um. But yeah, and Denzel runs over and he like his partner also. Went to go. Uh, he told he told his partner Kevin Pollock to like go around the back of the building mm-hmm. or something. And Kevin Pollock, rather than like, so he goes up to the driver, the annoying goon sidekick of Lithgow, and he's like, yeah, "What was the line that he said? Like, oh, you look real good in a cell or yeah, something." Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of lines like that in this movie. Uh, and, and, and Kevin Pollock delivered it like he had just like dropped the most clever quip. Of all time, <laughs> that's how he—he he was way too proud about. That's it. how he delivers everything, though. I feel like that's, that's true, the Kevin that's Pollock true. way. Um, so yeah, so Denzel already has him in his sights, and uh, then of course, in classic sort of '90s action movie fashion, uh, a girl just wanders. <laughs> she like—I guess she comes out of the porta potty or something. And so yeah, she just took a big dump yeah. in the porta potty, <laughs> and Earl immediately uh, grabs her and uh, puts uh, the shotgun to her head. And, um, and then he's telling uh, Denzel to uh, back off. And this is when, man, he has, like, the best or worst, uh, like, bad guy dialogue in this movie. And this is one of the lines here. He goes, back off, or she's going to need a paper bag over her head when her boyfriend fucks what's left of her. <laughs> yeah, it's like, what? Oh, man. <laughs> uh, so then... In order to combat this maniac with a shotgun, in order to establish trust, Denzel then takes off all of his clothes, strips down all the way to his boxers, and uh, and then do you know uh, the the line that he gets to, that he says after that? Denzel. Yeah, he says, uh, you know, because Denzel's trying to show him that. So Jonathan Lithgow, we should set the scene once Denzel would drop his gun. Yes. Which your classic makes sense. Standoff. What does Denzel yeah. do? Drop his clothes. Yeah. And Denzel's whole reasoning, while Denzel's still pointing the gun at him, mm-hmm. he says, uh, you know, you see, you're going to see that I'm, I've got nothing on me. I'm not wearing, I don't have like a secret gun, no a secret knife somewhere, <laughs> no wire, no, no, no flak jacket. Um, with the whole idea being that Denzel tells him, you're, you're on, you know, on three, I'll put the gun down, but you let her go and you take me as your hostage mm-hmm. is like the, the, the premise. But, but what happens? Steven, as Denzel strips down to the whitest pair of boxers I've ever seen in my life. Yeah. Well, first, uh, Denzel, he says, see, I, you know, I don't have anything. Oh, that's right. The only weapon I've got now <laughs> is useless unless you're a pretty girl. You know, because, of course, when you're confronting a dangerous felon, you want to make jokes about your private parts. Uh, yeah, yeah. So uh, then... You want to let everyone at the carnival know, hey, hey, I got a penis, everyone. Yeah, right, right, right. Well, you know... You gotta let um, everyone know that Denzel is is the man in this world. Uh, yes, so. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, he is. He is virile. Yeah. So he shoots. He pulls out a derringer that was hidden in his boxers. They ex- they actually explain this after this scene, 
and he shoots Blake in the kneecap. But he shoots him behind the back. Yeah, like, like, yeah. It's... And and the way he does it, like, is is for those I haven't seen it. Like, imagine the motion if you're like to have like a baseball, and you're throwing it behind your back mm-hmm. to like catch it with your other hand. It's like that kind of motion uh, that he shoots, how he shoots him, which is it's pretty ridiculous. Um, I mean, it was kind of neat. I, I I had already seen it in the trailer, right. uh, so I which I kind of wish I wouldn't have. <laughs> so I knew it was coming, but the trailer makes it seem like there's like. Like, like the bad guy is making him strip, but it's just Denzel's an exhibitionist. Right. Yeah. He wants everyone to see how much he worked out for the role. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess so. Uh, so, all right. The best part about all this is that uh, some uh, guy with a camcorder films it all because this is the 90s and not everybody had phones with cameras in them. And so this, of course, gets to go onto the news. And basically, the DA, like, she, like, gets her eye on uh, Denzel. Uh, and this is also back in the days of, uh, oh, let's show how, I don't, I don't even know what, the, I guess they want to show how powerful the DA is. And she just walks right into the men's locker room where Denzel happens to be, like, naked at the time. And then, you know, he has to, like, hide behind a, a locker room door and pretend that. Yeah, it's a pretty tropey scene. Yo, where like, I, oh, the woman walks into the men's locker room. I'm sure. You know, you've seen it a million times where a woman walks into, like, uh, like a sports team locker room during a meeting. And she's like, oh, don't cover up for me, boys. You know, it's that yeah, kind of Yeah, right. Scene. Exactly. Like, I mean, again, this is. I'm sure Steven D'Souza probably invented that trope. Um, maybe not. Who knows? Uh, but, um, <laughs> but yeah, basically she's like, I'm going to keep my eye on you. Like you, you and your partner are being promoted to you and your penis. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. See that, <laughs> sorry, now that would have been funny if she was doing that kind of shtick. It's like, you know, I'm a, really hard up for some good cops in this in this town and i think you two are gonna do the job like i mean but I, you know i'm kind of surprised that this didn't go that route but this is a serious hollywood production you hell there's no time mm-hmm. for double entendres i mean unless it's him right. you know talking about his dick but anyway Yes, uh, of course, of course. So um, let's see. Um, Blake is basically watching uh, the news. He sees that uh, you know Denzel is on there giving a speech, and then I guess he decides at that moment that he's going to get his revenge. And he asks the uh, you know the prison like book guy um, if he can have two really big books, like a Bible, and the other one was War and Peace. And I guess yeah. he was going to – Heavy books. He, he says he, he needs like a heavy book. Right, right, right. And you think he's asking for something that's like heavy like on like intellect or maybe hard to read or something. But he literally wants two heavy books. Uh, and I guess he uses them to somehow fix his his leg. Like it's – Yeah, it made no sense because no. like Denzel had shot him like just below the kneecap. Right. Um, and it's – at this point, we see that his – you know the wound has been stitched up mm. so i but then yeah he like he he takes these two books he puts them around his ankle mm. around his foot and wraps it up in the tape that was covering his wound mm. so now the books are like attached to his foot and then he somehow do, uses this to set his leg i guess yeah like it could be a it made no sense right no i mean i the setting doesn't really make much sense like if he maybe was gonna the way books are used 
make no sense oh, in this movie, think, as we'll yeah, see in a, in a scene later. this doesn't make sense, it's about to make a whole lot less sense. And then by the third yeah, act, Steve, logic... Has... Steven D'Souza has no idea what books are actually used for. <laughs> he doesn't know that they can be read. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, okay, so yeah, he does, basically, the whole point of the scene is that you see that Earl is out for revenge, and he's getting crazy. So then he's uh, sent to prison uh, with his cellmate, uh, Jesse Ventura, and, uh, like... Uh, well, Jesse Ventura's already in the cell. Right. Uh, Lithgow's gonna become his cellmate. Right, right. So he enters the, um, the cell, and... Um, I can't exactly. What did uh, what did Jesse Ventura say to him to to make him I, angry? Oh, he said, uh, "Hello, my name is uh, Chowalski. It's a pleasure to see you, to meet you." <laughs> that's not how it went. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the exact. No, I, I don't remember what he said. I, I, you know, he said something smart, like, or he starts to say something smart. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the thing. I don't think Jesse even finishes the sentence. He just starts a sentence, and Lithgow immediately beats the shit no, out of him. Somehow. No, he says uh, he does say something because Lithgow says like. Why don't you go fuck yourself? Uh, and then he uh, you know, basically beats his ass and smashes his head on the the rim of the toilet, um, and um, which makes no sense because like you know Lithgow is a pretty lanky guy. Right, right. Like I said, they but they want they're trying in every possible scene just to show you that he's the worst, the most dangerous like villain in all of this corner of the D'Souza verse. Have you ever seen a movie where Denzel Washington, at least from this era, obviously he's older now, so he's got a little bit of weight on him, uh-huh. but have you ever seen a movie from this era where Denzel looks out of shape? No. Right, exactly. What I propose, Steve, <laughs> is that they asked the wrong actor to spend three hours in the gym. Right. No, no that's that's a good point. I mean, I'll say that for John Lithgow, he probably got in the best shape that he can. I mean, I've never. I mean, this is probably the uh, the best shape I've ever seen him. I mean, he's never. He looks. Uh, this is how he looked in Third Rock from the Sun. Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> what are you talking about? I'm, I'm... Like he did not work out or anything. But yeah, anyway. So and Jesse Ventura, you know, he's a big dude, mm-hmm. muscular guy, mm-hmm. uh, tall guy. Well, Lithgow's kind of tall too, right? But, um. But anyways, yeah, he beats the shit out of him, and then he like Lithgow starts putting his his own books and things like on the shelves, yeah. and uh, he has like a newspaper clipping with Denzel Washington's face on it, you know, from the arrest, and he puts it on the wall. So you know, we see this establishes that you know he's obsessed with uh, with Denzel, mm-hmm. and I guess with those abs, you can understand why. Yeah, he's exactly. Uh, <coughs> all right, so uh, yeah, basically. Um, during this time, uh, Nick uh, has become um, the assistant district attorney. Nick, of course, is Denzel Washington, in case you haven't figured that out yet. Um, and meanwhile, uh, because of his, <laughs> his infraction against the Aryan Brotherhood by uh, cracking Jesse Ventura's skull on the rim of the toilet, um, he then has to fight Jesse Venturia, Venturia Ventura <laughs> in gladiatorial combat. They are duct taping. F- well, I think like samurai combat is what they call it. Yeah, all right. Even crazier. Like, because, because they make swords like samurai swords. Out of barbells. Remember, they like fashioned them from pipes or something. I can't remember oh, what they it's, use. It's the barbells from the, they like cut them in half and somehow <laughs> made them into a giant shiv somehow. It's so ridiculous. But yeah, so they duct tape uh, phone books and newspapers to them. 
And so, yes. Uh... <laughs> and they duct tape them in, like, the form of, like, the shape of, like, samurai, you know, gear. Right, yeah. It's So imagine if you were going to, for Halloween, you're going to go as a samurai, but you're poor, and all you can afford is, all you have are 30 products books to yeah. make your samurai outfit <laughs> out of. That's what they look like. And I, so I guess it's supposed to be, like, their armor. Yeah. Why, no, exactly why do they have armor? It. Yeah, and, well, this is so ridiculous. Like... Uh, all right, so there's I have my theories on why this scene even exists. Like, okay, Stephen D'Souza either uh, put it in there because he wanted, he thought maybe somehow sword fighting would attract muscle or Russell Mulcahy, who did uh, Highlander, or Russell Mulcahy was like, hey, I want to do an homage to Highlander, and. And that's why, because it even the sound effects even sound like Highlander when the um, when their swords mm-hmm. like clash with one another. It it's just the most ridiculous, over the top scene. And the best part is that there's still a reason for it to be there because after mm-hmm. all right, spoiler alert: um, John Lithgow basically defeats Jesse Ventura, and um, you know he you think maybe he's gonna um, wait a minute. But then on Jesse Ventura's armor, he sees like a newspaper clipping of uh, Denzel Washington saying that it's the same one from earlier, yeah, isn't it? I don't think it's the same one. I um, think so, because it ends up on the well, whatever. There's a newspaper clipping about Denzel right. on him. And it makes him so mad that he stabs Jesse Ventura uh, with his uh, barbell slash sword or whatever. And, yeah. Uh, and, and then. Steve, do you remember, like, before the fight started, like, uh, the spectators are there, and one of them says, yeah, we're going to see who the best Aryan is. Right, right. And, I mean, <laughs> isn't uh, doesn't John Lithgow have red hair in this? Does that even count as Aryan? Like, I mean, I don't know. I mean, I, I mean, yeah, you've been to a, reddish at times. I mean, you've been to a couple of Aryan meetings. I mean, what? <laughs> <laughs> no, I have not. Uh, well, I don't think it would go well for me if I was in one well, of those. Well, why not? Oh, uh, we, we can talk about it later. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I mean, I just that's the most bizarre scene. I mean, I can only imagine how long and expensive it was to, like, shoot that just so he can find that newspaper clipping at the end. And and I, I wonder if, like, if Steven D'Souza put it in just so he could be, like, uh, call up Russell McCahey and goes, look, you like sword fighting? There's a sword fighting scene. So what do you say? All right. Anyway. Yeah. Perfect. <laughs> All right. Enough about that scene. Oh, basically, he also uh, Earl tells the Aryan leader that you know he wants to break out. He you know prison life is not for him. So uh, moving on, uh, Matt Styles is flying high as assistant assistant district attorney, and then he's being asked to get into politics because everyone loves him. Uh, let's see. Denzel, he gives, uh, um, he goes to Ice T's place and gives a nice dressing down to Ice T and his crew. Um, what did you, <laughs> what did you think about him, like basically laying down like a after school special, like in the middle of this like crack gang? Yeah, it's really weird. He just shows up to like, I didn't understand. He he starts talking about like how they're not selling drugs in some other part of town. See, um, it, it can yeah. be confusing at first because, like, I didn't really get it either. This is, like, my second my second time in just, like, a couple of weeks watching this movie. Like, he's telling them not to sell drugs around uh, that tower area, you know, that they get to at the end of the movie. 
because he's raising money to build a boys and girls club in that area. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. Okay. <laughs> See? Yeah, I got confused because then he also gives them like a dressing down about where they are selling drugs and how they're selling them to each other and just like making things worse for themselves and mm-hmm. like their people. But uh, anyways, everyone starts pointing a gun at Denzel. But Denzel, he's a crafty veteran. He brought a grenade. Uh, he pull, pulls out the grenade, pulls out the pin and says, oh, who who here wants to die? Huh? Oh, oh. Oh, I guess none of you want to actually die as they start putting down their, their guns. And, you know, uh, so Denzel's allowed to leave after. Or no, doesn't he make like some kind of deal with them uh, or they agree to not yeah, to his terms? Yeah, basically, basically, they do is what happens. Yeah. Um, and then Denzel walks out of the building and uh, he's talking to Kevin Pollack. And at this point, I don't know if we mentioned, but uh, they've both been uh, promoted. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they have been promoted to detective. Um, but then Denzel at this point is already a district attorney. You know that he uh, is he because he has a mustache. That's how you know he's right. a district attorney. Yes. But uh, uh, I want to I, I want to mention it now because I, I don't want to forget to. But later in the climax, when he's finally kind of facing off with Lithgow, Denzel and Lithgow are facing off. Denzel has this funny line where he tells him, uh, you know, basically he's trying to say, oh, I have everything you wanted. Uh, I have a family. A home, a foreign car, a laser disc. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. That was and awesome. And that just cracked me well, up, the height of luxury. Well, you... He might as well have said, I've got a Philips CDI. Yeah, I was, you know? I've even got a Sega CD with the 32X, which I don't believe was out at yeah. that point. But uh... he, he, He's got the JVC XI version yeah. of the Sega CD player. <laughs> You'll never be as good as me because I've got that stuff and you don't. Uh, yeah. yeah, but uh, yeah. So, anyways, Denzel walks out of the building, talks to Kevin Pollock, and he's got the grenade in his hand, and oh, he pops the top on the grenade. It's, it's a, a lighter, oh, Steve. Man, that's such like '90s cheese, ah, man. Uh, and then he lights a cigarette. See and that? Smokes it. <laughs> it's pretty hilarious. Uh, so, uh, all right, now we're back with uh, Blake in prison, and um, the guard says, "The parole board's ready for you, Blake." I hope you remember to floss. And then do you remember his uh, reply or should I? Yeah. He's like, yeah, I remembered. I flossed. All right. With your wife's fucking pubic hair. (laughs) Oh man. See, like that's so quotable. I mean, you can use that every day in almost every conversation. Job interview. uh, Oh, whatever. You want to talk about job interview. We're about to get to to that. Oh Uh, Yeah. Go ahead, go ahead, Steve. I, I, I don't want to interrupt. So you. we get to the parole meeting, and um, uh, basically the lead parole guy is like, um, "So what's the first thing you're gonna do if you get out of uh, if we let you out of prison like today?" And well, well, I Steve, hold on, you skipped an important part. Okay. As he's walking, uh, John Lithgow is walking to um, right. the uh, the the parole hearing. He walks down a hallway. Where there's some prisoners that are working on. It's not just uh, any fixing. prisoners. It's the Aryan Brotherhood. Right, the Aryan Brotherhood from earlier that saw him, you know, kill Jesse Ventura, and one of them is like doing something to a light or something, and then the other one has a, I don't know what kind of saw it is, but it's like an electric saw. Yeah. And it's not like tied down to anything. He's just like sawing like thick, fucking two by fours. Uh, and I knew, I'm like, oh, man, someone's getting killed with that saw for sure. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, man, it's so ridiculous. Um, 
So yeah, the, uh, the so yeah, as Yale said, he walked past those guys. Now he's in the parole hearing, and the lead guy's like, "What's the first thing you're gonna do when you leave today?" He's like, mm, "Well, first I think I'd go to your house." And the guy's like, "Oh, to, to thank me, right?" He's like, "No, I think I'm gonna fuck your wife and daughter, <laughs> maybe the dog." And then he <laughs> shoots the guy with some like uh, hidden pen gun that I guess was a scene that they omitted. That uh, showed him making a, I don't know, uh, this weird sort of. It's weird because it, it looks like like he's like using a blow dart. Yeah, blow dart. Uh, you took visually, mm-hmm. but it comes out of the little cylinder thing, which is like not much bigger than a straw, but it comes out like a bullet, yeah. and it goes through the high guy's <laughs> head like a bullet. Yeah, yeah, it's so ridiculous. Like, yeah, it didn't make any sense. And then, if that weren't enough, uh, the. Uh, the aforementioned Aryan Brotherhood with the power tools, they basically massacre the other cops that are, like, nearby. Uh, one of them takes, like, a saw to the gut, basically. Um, so <laughs> it's definitely... It, it, it was like a horror movie scene. Like, one guy gets drilled in the neck, like, with a power drill. Yeah, yeah. It was uh, it was pretty awesome, <laughs> if I dare say so. Um, but uh, then... Earl, he he gets a gun and he demands the clothes uh, from the rest of the parole um, board. And the next scene is uh, his. We I guess I forgot to mention he's got like a sort of sleazy uh, public defender um, who was in the uh, parole hearing with him. And now that guy is taking him and the Aryan Brotherhood uh, basically out of the prison. They're all wearing um, the the clothes of the parole board. It uh, it's the most obvious like breakout in like cinema history, uh, mm-hmm. and uh, but luckily and enlu- luckily enough they get to the end, and uh, the the book guy and I just I love the callback here like is this is the most well written like sleazy piece of trash like ever like it's the book guy from back when um, Earl asked for the two heavy books and the guy's like hey young man young man. And uh, so Earl basically just opens fi- open fires, like shoots the book guy, uh, shoots the cops. Uh, they then head to the bookmobile. Um, and uh, I mean, basically, it's just pandemonium, like squibs everywhere. Uh, mm-hmm. Am I am I missing anything that significant that happens? No, he 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 just like indiscriminately kills people. Uh, basically, everybody ends up dying, getting shot by him or his friends except for the main Aryan guy Kim. and his little goon buddy Kim. And uh yeah, and then they basically they they make their way into the bookmobile. It's speeding away and uh he tells his lawyer that you're fired and shoots him right in the face cuz that's what villains do. Uh Yeah. <laughs> And, the, and not only that, but the lawyer is like trying to get on the truck. Why is the lawyer trying to get in the truck? I don't think he had a choice. I think they were holding on to his arm, um, if I'm not mistaken. But he's like grabbing him to like, is that what it was? I, I don't know. It was weird. But either way, they're whole, yeah, like Lithgow's holding his arm. The truck is moving, so the lawyer's having to run along with the truck. And the great thing, like you said, he shoots him, but. As he's falling after he gets shot, Lithgow steals his watch off him. Right. Mm-hmm. Which I thought was uh, pretty funny. He's so bad. Like, even even when he's doing something super bad, he still has time to do the little bad things. Uh, right, right. So uh, next we get a pretty awesomely shot scene. I guess it's supposed to take place, like, at a dusk. They park the um, uh, bookmobile, 
next to, I guess it's, um, I don't know, the Pacific Coast Highway or something in California. And it's, uh, you can really only see people's uh, silhouettes. And uh, really the most significant thing here is um, like Blake ends up uh, killing the, uh, the head Aryan guy. Like the guy starts asking for his like passports or something, like how they're gonna get out of the country. And uh, Blake just uh, kills him. And that's the one thing that makes me believe that I don't think Blake is an Aryan uh, or a racist. He's just out for himself, like no matter what. He doesn't care about anyone else, and he'll use anyone to get uh, yeah, maybe to right. get the job done. Not that it matters. He's a horrible human being, but I don't think he's an Aryan guy. But. He might be. He yeah. Blake's like I might be a murderer, but I'm no racist. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so now um, there's like a I think a courtroom scene. Basically, um, Nick gets to do like a big um, you know closing argument or whatever, and then he and uh, Kevin Pollock or Larry uh, start walking out. A bum uh, asks uh, Blake for money, and he gives it to him. And after they walk out of frame, the bum pulls off his hat. And it's Blake disguised as a bum. Ooh. Like, why is he even doing that? <laughs> because you wouldn't expect it, you hell. That's why. Uh, and then we get um, a pretty tense scene. At least I thought it was when I first watched it. Where um, So Nick and wife are out for a big fundraiser for uh, the aforementioned, you know, kids home at the tower area or whatever. And uh, meanwhile the power gets cut at Blake's house and the babysitter calls him, calls him up to, I guess, tell them that the girls are scared. And, uh, they're like, well, uh, call the power company. And she's like, I did. And up, oh, then the doorbell rings <laughs> and who's at the door. That motherfucker. It's Earl in disguise again. Did you know he was going to be such a master of disguise here? He's almost like the pretender over here. Yeah, yeah, he's got like an outfit for everything. Yeah. Uh, also, what's to stop the power company from showing up? Yeah. I mean, it, are, is the assumption that he killed the actual guy that showed wow, up from you... the power company? Because that would have made more sense to show that. But this movie is already like too long, in my opinion. So I'm kind of glad they didn't. Uh, yeah. So um, so basically, he goes in there. He drugs like the their girls and the, or the babysitters, uh, Coco. They all fall asleep, and basically he. But it, yeah, it's weird. Like, why are they having like a sit down Coco and doing and singing and doing like a, some weird birthday celebration thing? It's somebody's birthday. I can't remember. I don't know who. It was Blake's but birthday. Like, oh, that's yeah. what it was. So it's like Blake's birthday. So they like have candles. Like, just think about it. They he would have had to tell them it's my birthday today. Oh, uh, well, let's you know uh, put some candles in a Twinkie for you and stranger uh, before you fix the power, which he says is only going to take five minutes to fix right. anyway. I mean, I can tell that they just wanted to have like a creepy moment between Earl and like the girls, and even right. though it I, doesn't I necessarily that. make sense, and this is what they came up with. Uh, you're right; it's completely outlandish and doesn't make sense. But I would say that is the M.O. of this movie. Uh, <laughs> Over-the-top outlandishness. I, I just feel like the scene wasn't over-the-top enough mm -hmm. for me to distract from how unrealistic the setup for it is. I could see that. I could see. They, I mean, they probably could have just edited this scene out entirely 
and then just have like the uh you know the video show up later and then Blake just explain over the phone. Yes, that's right. I was in your house, Nick. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, if they just wanted to show that he drugged them, uh, he could have just, when they're not looking, drugged the Coco, which is ultimately what ends up happening anyway. Right, 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 exactly. Uh, Whatever. So, yeah, so uh, basically, um, after Nick's... Uh, t- uh, so, I guess... Um, Earl is the one who sends the cash to send the telethon like over the amount that they needed. Um, why? I don't know. <laughs> well, well, actually, I do know why because the idea he does that so that um, the councilman will then go and deposit the cash. Right, and question but, where the money came from. Yeah. But how would he know that the councilman is gonna is gonna be the one to go deposit the cash and which bank he's gonna go to for the drop-off you know there's a lot of you know plot convenience Yo, going oh 100 percent, 100 percent. i mean i just assume anyone i mean that that's the <laughs> that's the most glaring like sort of problem is who's depositing that amount of money in the middle of the night by themselves like <laughs> like you're well just... as the councilman said uh because kevin pollock offered to like drive him you know he is a cop and he goes huh this is my this is my uh, part, side of town. Don't worry, I'll be fine. Like what? Yeah, <laughs> you live in a dangerous side of town, dude. That's basically <laughs> like, his way of saying, "Leave me alone, white guy." No, I don't. <laughs> yeah, basically. Uh, so yeah, basically this uh, gets. Um, I believe his name was Ferris. Um, this gets him uh, killed, um, and uh, then there's a, a meetup between. Um, uh, fi- or finally, Earl and um, Nick um, meet up, and um, it's the uh, why do I have the oh yeah it's he uh, Earl goes oh, no I'm sorry Nick says Jesus Christ and then Earl goes almost <laughs> see he th- yeah yeah <laughs> stupid oh come on that's classic and then all right but then that's followed up by even more weird dialogue Kim is goes all right so. They they drugged Nick or knocked him out somehow. This is they're basically kidnapping him, and um, uh, after they uh, knock what's his name out. Um, in fact, I believe it's Earl who basically like hits him with the butt of the gun, and mm-hmm. Kim shows up and he goes, "I bet he shit his pants. I can't wait to look." <laughs> like, <what? Yeah>, just... <laughs> like they really want you to know that he's a he's a messed up individual. Um, yeah. So, all right, so now they've kidnapped Nick. Um, there was some earlier stuff that uh, showed that had uh, Ferris, like, he was basically hanging from, like, a wire, wearing, like, this leather bustier, trying to... Well, he was, like, hung. It, it looked like he had hung himself. Yeah, yeah, they, they were trying, trying to make... Look yeah. like. And they, they, they dressed him up, like, in lingerie and, like, like trying to make it look like he was in drag, basically, yeah. and that's how they referred to it later. Yeah, yeah, uh, basically trying to make it look like he's a sexual uh, deviant. Um, and uh, Yeah, and then, like, well, more than that, they try to make it look like he's, like, into little kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and, and, like, molested them or something because they planted in his briefcase, like, you know, basically, like, like child porn. Right. And, um, yeah, it, it, it was... Uh, I don't, it's so ridiculous. So the whole thing is Jonathan Lithgow sent donated ten thousand dollars to the telethon, and somehow he knew the councilman would be the one making the donation mm-hmm. or making the deposit at night and what bank he would go to. 
And his whole plan from the beginning was to capture him to make it look like he is into little boys so that then people would suspect that maybe because he's friends with Denzel and they like went to some kids charity thing in Florida that maybe Denzel's character might also be into little boys. Well, you know, only sexual deviants travel to Florida. <laughs> Duh. Yeah, yeah, apparently. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was just like, man, that, that's a very oh, flimsy plan. It's a very uh, convoluted uh, plan slash plot. Um, so you just have to sort of... Uh, you know, strap yourself into the roller coaster and kind of hang on to the ride. <laughs> mm-hmm. Like if this is the kind of ride you want to take. Um, so yeah, basically this is, uh, and finally they, they capture Nick and basically it's uh, Earl's uh, or Blake's whole plan is to discredit uh, Denzel as like the pillar of community that the community that he's become. And it starts with him injecting him with uh I can't remember exactly heroin. what drugs are in a speedball. I think it's actually supposed to be heroin and cocaine. Um, well, that's what they find in his blood later, so it would have to be. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm just not up on my drug lingo. It's not the only thing they find in his blood. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> and it doesn't, we'll get to that. It doesn't stop there. I mean, yeah, so basically they're like uh, poking them with needles. Um and uh, then, and they have him in a, in like a big empty pool, yeah. which becomes important. <laughs> yeah. So it's like an Olympic sized pool, but it's been empty. There's no water right, in it. Which They've got him strapped to a chair. Um, visually, but Steve, before they, what's that? Go ahead. I was just gonna say, visually shooting in that empty pool is like really kind of interesting because it feels just so desolate and empty. It was an interesting choice. Is all. Yeah, I'm it, it's it's a cool setting. Yeah. Uh, it doesn't make a lot of sense. Nope. <laughs> Uh, especially with what happens later with the pool. But um, one thing that you forgot to mention is that before he's injected, uh, Lithgow is like basically is forcing Denzel to arm wrestle him. Oh, yeah. I forgot about uh, the arm wrestling. But did you scene. notice the way they clasped hands when they arm wrestled? Um, no. So usually when you arm wrestle somebody, it's thumb to thumb. Yeah. Right? Yeah, yeah. They didn't do that. They did it like this. Like with their fingers oh, over their fingers. That's weird. I was, like, I was like, what? Nobody on like who? Nobody on set said, "Hey, this is not how people arm wrestle." Has literally no one on this production ever arm wrestled or, or seen someone arm or wrestle? Or watch the movie Over the Top starring Sylvester Stallone? Um, yeah. So it was. Oh my god, so awkward. <laughs> uh, and yeah, that um, that's important later. There's a lot of calls. There's a lot of setups and payoffs yeah. in this movie. Um, but yeah, so they drug him up, mm-hmm. you know, he's like all weary or whatever. And then the next thing they do <laughs> is they, they tie him to like a bed. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have like a prostitute come in. Now, do you think it makes sense to uh, buy like a smoking hot, like attractive prostitute? <laughs> or should they have like maybe uh, went for someone a little, uh, maybe someone that, you know, Nick would not particularly enjoy? <laughs> Well, I, I, I think the idea is to make it believable. They got like a high class, you know, escort. Mm-hmm. With um, gonorrhea. To, right. With, uh, no, Steve, chlamydia. Oh, right, right. Um, but uh, yeah, so they get this like high end escort to come in and while he's tied to the bed and drugged up and she, uh, you know, has sex with him and they, they videotape it so that they can blackmail him with it later. Mm-hmm. 
Um, oh, we left out. We're not blackmailing, but just because they're not really blackmailing him. They're just, you know, they're going to put it right. out there to make it look like he's like hooking up with prostitutes. This or is the first but, canceling ever. And here it is, 1991. This is the first canceling. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, but uh, like it, I thought this was like dumb because he's so drugged up that he can he can't even talk. He can only mumble. There's no way he's getting it up. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. I mean, that's dumb. It, like, but the dumbness doesn't stop there, you hell, because uh, there was a scene earlier that I forgot to mention where basically um, Denzel and the other, the congressman who is now deceased, like uh, they were basically having like, they were basically having drinks at this restaurant and the waitress comes in and there's just sort of like some kind of, they're just basically talking. I, it sounds a little flirty, but he's not even really flirting. And over yeah. on the other side of the wall, after a swooping pan around, <laughs> you see Earl Earl Talbot Blake recording what's going on with a Walkman, basically. And mm-hmm. so he takes the audio from that. <laughs> He edits edits it with his Fisher Price, my first editor, or whatever. Yeah, he, he must have a four track somewhere. Yeah, yeah, and he puts that audio with the video of uh, Denzel having sex with the prostitute, and it's later like delivered to uh, the news, uh, the news, and to the DA and stuff like that. It... But when they show the video that the DA has with the audio and all that mm-hmm. stuff. You can see that Denzel's passed out in it. Oh, I mean, it's like the worst like uh, setup of like all time. Like anyone, even if you were just like the local, like if if you were the guy who got coffee, like at the local news, you'd be able to tell that the video is complete, like fake. It's just it's so stupid. Yeah, l- like like this movie doesn't seem to know what it wants to be. Like at times, it wants to be taken seriously and played straight and other times it's ridiculously over the top yeah i mean it's got a pretty ridiculous um convoluted plot and everything else is pretty over the top i (laughs) it's yeah i mean it's a uh who could say who could say we'll have to ask uh steven d'souza if if he's still alive um yeah. So uh, basically, uh, they send Nick back. He's uh, found on the streets as like a bum. And uh, then the next scene is like him in the um, uh, at the doctor and they're like taking his blood test and everything. And oh, and I've, at this point, everyone thinks that um, uh, Earl is dead because <laughs> and again, this is a pretty flimsy, but you just have to go with it. So he after he killed the Aryan Brotherhood guy, he shot him in the kneecap. And that apparently is enough to convince any coroner that that was Blake. Like, uh, yeah. Yeah, Well, no, it's really weird. They say like something like um, about his teeth records. Mm-hmm. Like that's how they verify that it was Blake. But it's like, because they say if it wasn't for his uh, shock, uh, the, the wound and his teeth records, we wouldn't have known it was him. Yeah. But it's like- There was no scene of him. Oh! I remember because there's a scene later where somebody in the medical office switches. There you go. Yep. Oh, okay. That's what that was. Yeah. So somebody (laughs) way, way earlier, this is before he breaks out of prison. uh, Blake, I guess, like fell down on purpose. He got a cut that needed stitches. Right. And uh, maybe it was from the samurai fight uh <laughs> whatever from their samurai larping mm-hmm. and yeah they had and while the doctor was distracted with blake um kim i think is the one that went in and switched 
the dental records. Mm-hmm. Yeah, there you go. And I guess those were the only dental records. Okay, <laughs> you know what? How? Why would they go through the trouble? I, I now I'm pissed that they went through the trouble of explaining that very well, mind you. But they don't explain him having the uh, electrician's outfit. They don't explain how he knew that the $10,000 would be deposited by the councilman and all that stuff. He surveilled them. He's been following them. He, this is a Machiavellian uh, plot of revenge. You this, is, this is what I'm saying, Steve. This movie doesn't know what it wants to be. I think it knows exactly it, what it wants to be. It has an identity crisis. It wants to be high budget sleaze <laughs> 90s okay. excess uh basically uh, i don't know um where steven d'souza was such a big name that i guess the producers just threw money at this like oh you want to have a, a samurai fight in there with uh with phone books and <laughs> barbells and swords do it go right ahead <laughs> like they just said yes <laughs> to everything because that guy i guess was just making everybody money back then but uh but uh moving on like basically I mean, unless there's anything that I need to, like, um, uh, talk about specifically. Basically, uh, Nick gets out and uh, everything is just, he's just being discredited left and right, no matter what he does. Like, <laughs> this is what... Yeah, they, they take his blood, mm-hmm. um, you know, like, like at the, uh, I can't remember if it was at the police station, because they weren't at a hospital, mm-hmm. but they take his blood to, you know, make sure he's okay. But they, And that's when they find that. They call him the next day, hey, we found cocaine, and... Uh, heroin in your system and also we found a little bit of the clap yes yes of course his and that's how his 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 wife overhears this and that's how she finds out that like he slept with somebody and he's like oh i couldn't do anything about it uh the only thing that was working was my penis somehow and she she makes a a remark that is pretty much just that uh but uh she's like well i do know how it's a tool for pretty ladies i understand (laughs) a weapon (laughs) a weapon for pretty ladies uh, yes, yes. One scene that I think is pretty hilarious. All right. So as they're leaving the um, police, I don't know, uh, the place where he's getting checked out or whatever, he's surrounded by reporters and he's like, I'm going to prove it to you all. Let's go right now to the pool. And he goes like, I don't know if they all rode together in like a big van or a bus or something, but you can assume that the pool is somewhere else where where they were but all the exact same reporters and denzel and i guess kevin pollack and whoever else was in the previous scene they all show up at the pool where he was being held and what's going on there water aerobics <laughs> it's yep the pool has been fully filled and that's just the genius of earl talbot blake he knew he only had a certain amount of time to use the empty pool and then when he was done the water aerobics people filled it up and started using for water aerobics. So uh, there's no questions to be asked here. It's an airtight, airtight plot you're dealing with here. Steve, how, how long do you think it takes to fill an Olympic pool? Uh, I don't know. A couple of hours a day, six hours, six hours. If you used a normal garden hose, (laughs) which we don't see like, (laughs) Well, we don't see like anything, you know, whatever. It takes 19 days. What? Now, wow. maybe they've got something else to fill it with, but it's definitely not going to be overnight. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, a, filled. it's an indoor pool. You can assume they've got a couple of uh, spigots or, <laughs> you know. Okay, now I, I did find out how long it takes normally. Like if you have the proper equipment to fill up an uh, Olympic pool, it's four days and 14 hours. All right. And um, 
Yeah, I, I imagine draining it would take a few days too, a couple days too. Uh, and where does that water go? I don't, I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe they got a little, little plug you pull. But anyways, just, just, just throwing it out there. Well, all right then. Uh, so uh, let's see here. Um, yeah, basically, there's a lot of sort of scenarios where. Um, basically, um, Nick just b- starts looking crazier and crazier to everyone. Uh, there's a scene where he, um, um, oh yeah, basically Blake sends him the tape of when he was dressed as the electrician hanging around in his house. He like holds up an ax to, um, one of his daughters and... <laughs> This is so stupid. All right, so Denzel freaks out, which, I mean, of course, I mean, I guess who wouldn't? Like, uh, But he runs up, sees that, you know, his daughter's room is uh, completely empty. There's no bloodstains or anything. So what does he do? Instead of, like, like a rational adult, like, does he call anyone or anything? No. He grabs his gun and runs to the, uh, I guess it's like an outdoor, um, it's like a, almost like a Christmas pageant or something, some sort of, you know, kid, like a concert of some kind. And he sees like a guy, a shady looking guy from behind. And he, he tackles him and points his gun, like right up on stage in front of everyone. And of course it's a clown and all the kids are freaked out and they're freaking out. And, you know, he looks like a, a complete psycho, uh, you know, threatening this clown. What did, what did you think of this scene? Yeah, again, like, it didn't make any sense. He doesn't do anything with the tape, uh, you know. Uh, and the tape, it, it's pretty clear from the tape that it's, like, at night. Yeah, it doesn't and, make any uh, sense because it's at a completely different time. Uh, it's So why would he think that he's up there? Does he think it's live? It's a videotape right. that you just put in. It's almost as if, I mean, you'd think someone who owns a Laserdisc would know how media works, like, would know how a VHS works. You know what I mean? You would think, um, you would think, but I, I, well, I will say that the, I, I know the reason why it's because like once he goes over to the, uh, the DA, you know, he gets over to like wherever the clown is at or whatever mm-hmm. the kids are at. Well, I was going to say he, he's like still like going, he's like going through withdrawal or something. He's super sweaty, but he did just run like a mile right, right, uh, right. in a bathrobe. So that's why he's sweating. Right, a pink um, bathrobe. I love how like all the yeah. um, colors they could have put him in. They, like, they really wanted us to think that he was, like, uh, I guess, going crazy. Um, so it would, I guess, maybe pay off at the end. <laughs> yeah. Um, and a congresswoman happens to be there videotaping this whole scenario, too. Right. And then, so the next scene is him at the uh, the DA's office. And he's like, look, here's the proof right here. And he jams the VHS tape into the VCR. And it's the tape of him having sex with the hooker. Like, how did that happen? Was it, like, added on after the the daughter part? Well, after he runs out of the house, doesn't Kim show up? Don't we see a scene where, like, Kim then oh, goes yeah, into the house? Oh, yeah, you're right. So you could assume that, all right, so he ran back to the house, picked a different VHS, didn't bother to check it, went to the DA, played it, and it was the sex tape. Uh, so Right, because I guess Kim and Blake knew that that's what was going to happen. He was going to take the tape to the uh straight to the da wasn't gonna show it first to his wife to be like see i'm not crazy which i mean that wouldn't have been great either if she saw it but you know you would think like he'd want to show proof Mm. um of this stuff so yeah of course obviously 
without question. Yeah, it's a, <laughs> it's it's like like I said, there's a lot of plot conveniences mm. here. Like, wouldn't it have made more sense for um, Blake to send that tape to the new to the media himself to just send it to the news? Yeah, you'd think so, but it's but it hits. It's more of an embarrassment if he plays it himself for the DA. <laughs> I guess. I guess so. <laughs> um, and then I guess the DA sent it out to the media who showed it. Oh, no, I think it was all. I think Blake had already sent it at that point. Um, I don't think the DA did. Bl- Blake had several oh. copies. So um, I see. So uh, anyway, um, Larry ends up dying. Um what Blake shoots yeah, him. Yeah, Larry gets shot by Blake as they're chasing Kim and uh, right. like they're ch- like Larry's chasing Kim and Blake comes out and he's like, "Oh, uh, Larry, it's me, Jonathan Lith, John Lithgow from Third Rock from the Sun." <laughs> uh, shoots him in the chest like thirty times, mm-hmm. unloads the clip basically, mm-hmm. and then and Denzel like is running up while this is happening. Then Larry Blake throws the gun at Denzel. And Denzel catches it like a fucking idiot with his hand. And then uh, Blake takes off the gloves he was wearing and goes, ah, now it's got your fingerprints all over it. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) I wish he would have laughed like that. Um, So, uh, yeah, of course, it's uh, it's raining when Larry dies. I'm surprised we didn't get the sort of classic. No. (laughs) But uh, well, Larry does have like a line as he's dying in, um, in Denzel's arms where he says, well, I guess you were right about Blake being alive, because how could he kill me if he was dead? Right. Oh, and then he died. <laughs> that's freaking hilarious. Uh, so, um, all right. So basically, Nick calls his boy Ice-T, uh, and I thought this was pretty, because it's shot from Ice-T's perspective, and he's like, what? You want a what? And he looks over at RC, and he's like, Oh man, my boy gone crazy. <laughs> it's like you could yeah. just make up that that could actually be like a funny meme. Like you could have like anyone on the other end of that phone call saying whatever you want and just IC going, "What? You're crazy." Uh yeah. <laughs> so it's that classic trope of where uh, a plan is being created but they don't tell the audience, so you just have to sort of watch it unfold. And uh then I I really like when uh, Nick go, goes back home. And he's like uh, trying to convince Alice and uh, and the kids and uh, the final uh, like to get out of the house, to get out of like the city. And he goes, I'm innocent and perfectly sane. Now get in the car. Like, I'm like, oh, no. Oh, well, if you're saying you're sane, then I. Yeah, sure. We'll go with you. Mm, yeah, and, sure. OK. And, yeah. uh, and uh, ba- but uh, oh, wait, he doesn't send them out of the city. They then go to Ice-T's place, his crack house. And then his crack warehouse. And then he sends his daughters away with RC, like the uh, Ice T's like local like henchmen, basically. And, yeah, but and Ice T is like, you take very good care of these ladies. And, yeah, and he's like, I or to protect them with your life, he says. Something. Yeah, like suddenly, like these, you know, drug dealers become, uh, you know, the the, the noble, thief of the heart of gold. Yeah, noble knights, basically. Um, yeah, all because their boy, um, you know, Nick Styles reached out to them. Um, so, uh, now mind you last time they saw him, they were all ready to shoot him. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Uh, so, uh, next, um, Earl and Kim go to a fetish bar, like for no reason. And again, I think this is when they're still trying, I don't know. They're still trying to tease like 
what's wrong with Earl. And so now I think we're all supposed to be like, ah, oh, I get it. He's a sexual deviant. Like he, he and Kim are obviously a couple, blah, blah, blah. But uh, Kim is like, so what do you, what do you think of the place? And uh, Earl is like, ah, oh, they're a bunch of like freaks or something. So either he's like in the closet or, I mean, I don't know. I guess you can just, you're free to like figure out whatever the heck is wrong with um with earl for your own you know your own devices <laughs> um so the whole point what was the even the point of this fetish bar um uh basically it was just so that they could watch on live tv right. the news right because um he wanted to see um or uh, Nick get arrested? Right, that's it. And because uh, they... he somehow knew that he would be getting arrested right then at there at that time. Mm, of course. Because I don't know, like like John Lithgow's character is apparently clairvoyant, <laughs> uh, with the exception of you know when the climax hits. Right, right, right. And I just love like uh, Stephen S. D'Souza or E. D'Souza. He was just like, hmm. We need to have an interesting place for them to to meet up and watch the news. It's like, I could do Bennigan's, Ruby Tuesdays, or the Fetish Bar. And he goes... Yeah, and they've got, like, at this Fetish Bar, like, people, uh, like, you know, women are naked of all sizes. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> which, that, that actually really surprised me, because this is a movie from, what, 1991? Mm -hmm. And, you know, you've got your typical, like, fit people that are naked in this bar. But then they also had, like, you know, a really, really heavy set woman that was also, like, naked and uh, with some, like, leather straps around her. And then you had, of course, because it's 1991, and anytime you want to make something weird... What do you throw in, a Steve? A dwarf. I mean, sorry, little yep, person. So, little person. Yeah, you've got a little person bartender um, <laughs> who is uh, standing on the bar, and that's how he's pouring everyone's drinks. Yeah. So, yeah, very tropey. Uh, you know, for you, that's just a Tuesday at the castle, right? Am I right? <laughs> uh, anyway, so now uh, Nick, he's on top of Ice-T's building, and he's basically pretending to be insane. And this does not sit well with one Earl Talbot Blake because he basically, he wants to be the one to ruin uh, Denzel Washington's life. And he doesn't want um, Denzel to, you know, hurt himself or kill himself, which is basically what this is looking out to be. He throws a flare into Ice-T's beautiful drug lab and somehow Ice-T and his noble gag of drug dealers, they allow him to blow it up. And man, yeah. this will... I guess they decided to turn over a new leaf. Yeah, yeah like what are they going to do for work after this? Uh, yeah. But man, that explosion was amazing. Like this is obvious... Okay, they... What's up? Yeah, amazing huge explosion, Steve. Can we talk about how Denzel escapes the huge explosion? He just... Doesn't he just sort of slide down a... How does he? How does he do it? Oh, I I, I wish it was. It's kind of like that, but worse. So Walks down you know, the, a fire this, this rooftop, this rooftop. No, that would have made more sense. Uh -huh. This rooftop has like, um, I don't know what they're called, but they're like these glass pyramid like dome thingies at the top mm. of the roof. Um, but the glass is not see through. Um, it's like frosted mm. glass, so he can't really see through it. But his escape plan is to jump. Actually, he like falls and they make it seem like it's an accident. Like he steps on one of these glass pyramid things and falls through it. But thank God he perfectly chose exactly where 
to step through, even though he couldn't see, because he falls through like this like shoot mm-hmm. that is literally the size, the width, exact width of Denzel Washington. <laughs> like if he was an inch to the left or right or any other direction, he would not have like fallen through. Anyways, the shoot, I guess, is fireproof. Um, so he goes through that. And I guess at some point, Steve, it must like turn into a slide because otherwise from the way it looks, it looks like it's 90 degrees, like a right angle straight down. And he goes down like from the, this is like, I don't know. What would you say? Like a 10 story building at least. So I don't understand how he survived this. Uh, it doesn't make any sense. He survived because he's the hero. (laughs) Oh, duh. But yeah, so he wants, uh, basically to make, um, Blake think that he's killed himself mm-hmm. uh, that he's going to kill himself to bring him out because Blake is established it's established early on uh Blake doesn't want to kill um Denzel right. he wants him to like live and suffer right yes that's exactly right and uh lucky for uh for one Earl he's walking away from the explosion you know crestfallen that his plan had, had fallen apart because Denzel had quote unquote uh you know committed suicide and luckily, our noble uh, drug dealer, Ice-T, is like, no, wait, it wasn't him. It was one of the other lackeys. He was like, hey, are you, you Blake? I got a phone call for you from a phone booth, which is always hilarious. Uh, mm-hmm. And so he comes over and picks it up, and it's Ice-T. And he's like, you need to meet at the tower, motherfucker. And uh, because, <laughs> of course, everyone knows the tower. Um, and I guess... He's like, yeah, if you want to see... Uh... Denzel, you know, right. uh, if you, he's at the tower. Exactly. <laughs> Come meet us at the tower. Right. So uh, that's uh, pretty much what they do. Um, I guess uh, the, I think it was the drug dealers. They captured Nick and then they strung him up to the, to this tower. And to describe this tower, it's like, I mean, obviously it's made of, it, it, ma- it, it's like, it's, it's like the, the electrical towers in Spider-Man two, uh, the amazing Spider-Man two, the, where he fights Electro, whichever movie that is. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, and and they've got Kim, uh, you know, Lithgow's little goon buddy, uh, like, up there. Like, he's kind of crucified, <laughs> basically. Yeah. Uh, he's, like, tied to the tower. He, like, uh, and it's funny. Like, this is when Kim realizes just now that Lithgow is out of his mind. Right. And an idiot because he's, like, why didn't you just kill him? All you did was <laughs> – he's, like – this is basically, like, the Rorschach uh, scene where he's, like – I'm not stuck in this prison with you. You're stuck here with me. Right. Because Kim tells him, all you did, you you know, you didn't kill his wife. You didn't kill him. You didn't mess up his life. All you did was make him mad. (laughs) And like, and like, and he's like, you're an idiot, blah, blah, blah. And then Lithgow's like, you know what, bro? I've had enough of you. I'm going to shoot you from 5,000 feet away, uh, shooting upward at an awkward angle. Hits him with every bullet perfectly. Right. So he kills him. And then Denzel Washington shows off his ventriloquist skills and starts throwing his voice all around. Yeah, he basically. Like, oh, Blake, 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 Blake. But it's coming from all different directions. <laughs> he turns to the shadow like, basically at the end. Yeah. yeah. He's like, he's like, where are you? Where are you, Denzel? Uh, <laughs> Blake just starts calling him Denzel. Right. It's really uh, weird. So and, and then uh, Denzel just pops up and goes, oh, I'm right here. Yeah. <laughs> right, right, and then, but Denzel's at the top of the uh, the tower, of the tower right? or, or near the top of of this like tower. So he's like, "Oh, come and get me, John Lithgow." 
Um, and John Lithgow's like, sure, I'm an idiot. I'll go up there. Right. There was no um, warning about the high ground in this movie. Uh, like, yeah, in no, episode three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So he just goes up there and, um, they start fighting and they quip. And this is where like Denzel tells him, Oh, I've got everything you wanted. Even a laser disc player. <laughs> um, I, I, I've been playing Dragon's Lair on this thing every night. <laughs> and Space Ace. And, yeah, and Space Ace. And what have you been doing? You've been stuck with the Super Nintendo version. Yeah. <laughs> that thing is not is nothing like the real game. Right. <laughs> right yeah, right. It, it's not that they went into that, but... Uh, so it w- was weird, but, uh, you know, totally works. So all, this whole time... Uh, the noble gang of uh, drug dealers are talking to each other on cell phones. It was so weird that cell phones made an appearance in the third act of this movie, and they were they weren't it, present at all like previously. A lot of cell phones. Yeah, so they're they're talking to each other like in order to play out um, basically uh, Nick Styles's plan. You see someone like uh, opening up like a panel to a light thing, and then they're hooking up electrodes to it. And uh, all the meanwhile, uh, Nick and Earl are at the very top, and they're like fighting each other. There's sort of a uh, a callback to the arm wrestling scene where they're at the top of this tower, they're clasping hands incorrectly, and uh, this time John Lithgow presses his hand um, presses Nick Styles' hand onto this like spike that's like sticking up for no reason. Yeah. But but it's not his hand that goes through it. It's like his bicep yeah, or yeah. forearm. It was hard. To, it, it's like in the shot, it's his forearm mm. in the close up shot. But then when they pan out, uh, like the blood's coming down from his bicep. It, it's very confusing. Mm. But uh, one thing I don't want to skimp on is what, uh, all right, before he um, commits his fake suicide or fakes his death, uh, basically Denzel is up there acting crazy uh did you buy it did you buy it i mean it kind of because we didn't talk about this but earlier there's a pretty boring scene at the beginning of the movie towards the beginning of the movie where we see denzel as a prosecutor uh in a trial and he does he's doing his closing argument and at one point, Denzel, Denzel's argument is so stupid, too. Mm, He's like, listen, jury, I know you want to get out of here. Yeah. I know you're tired of hearing about death and murder, but we got to put this guy away. Hold on a minute uh, so while I take my clothes up. off. <laughs> but but then he's yeah but i mean basically he does like a version of that in a way because then he's like says i know we all just want to get out of here and then he like pauses and then he, denzel literally yells and screams and like almost like high steps like he's running out of the courtroom he's like ah and the judge which is ridiculous and it's supposed to be denzel's like see we all want to leave and get out of here and get some fresh air and then does the judge say anything about like hey this is you can't be doing this does the defense attorney say objection no, nobody says anything. In fact, we pan to the judge's face, and he's giving him like an, "Oh, you, you're, you're such a rapscallion." Oh, it's like a Mentos commercial. <laughs> like the only thing missing is Denzel pulling out a Mentos. Right, because he's Nick Styles, and you know everything ends up going his yeah. way. Um, well, so my point is, yes, I buy it because I've already seen him act like a lunatic in court. Well, I, I mean, you had that scene, and then you also had the grenade scene that's supposed to show you that. I guess yeah, th- th- this guy's a theater kid, basically. I mean, I, I was <laughs> I was just saying, like, I don't know. I think it takes a certain kind of actor to pull off, like, crazy. 
and like make it believable. Um, so, I mean, and I, and as we said, Denzel is good, but I don't think he's like that kind of actor. You know what I mean? Like the, I, well, the, the one thing that took me out of buying it as him being crazy was when he starts putting lipstick on. Yeah. See, that's so, <laughs> that's one of those 90s Like, just cliches. think about it. Who did he, did he ask his wife for some yeah. lipstick? She's like, what the fuck do you need this for? That's, and he's like, ah, oh, well, you see, I got this thing I'm going to do. I'm going to get up on the roof. Uh, I'm going to act like I'm crazy. And I think what will really sell it is if I just put on some of that Maybelline red. <laughs> See, that's one of those nineties, <laughs> like, uh, like sort of tropes, almost like the dwarf, if you will. Like, although when he's up there acting crazy, he's basically yelling that he's guilty of everything he's right, accused of. Right. He yells like, Oh yeah, I'm into little boys. Mm. And I guess maybe cause they, cause there was lipstick on the councilman yeah, that had put yeah, lipstick I mean, on him. So I, I guess, guess maybe he's like, Oh, I'm into this. So I, I, I think that that's what it's really supposed to be. In the mind of Steven D'Souza, it makes sense, I guess. <laughs> and it makes it, it makes sense that, like, uh, Styles would be going crazy, right? Because sure. this, this, this whole situation could break a person down. But it does kind of feel like, it does come off a little bit like, this is a guy that's acting. Right, exactly. But I bought it because that's how he came off to me sure. in the courtroom scene earlier. Sure, sure, I got you. So... So, uh, all right, let's end this thing. Basically, their whole plan here is to hook up electrodes to the tower and then see uh, Nick, he brought insulated gloves to this uh, firefight, if you will, <laughs> or this fisticuffs. And, uh, but Earl does not have them because they somehow knew he wouldn't bring gloves because he, he just didn't have the time to prepare. And so while they're up there... <laughs> The uh, ice tea and the noble drug dealers, they flip the switch and it electrocutes Blake, but not enough to make him like fry completely or fall down. Like, I guess they really wanted to have um, uh, Nick Styles put the final nail. It just kind of stuns him a little yeah. bit. It's like he got hit with a stun gun. And there was so much prep work for them to get this set up because we didn't talk about this. Ice T's like boys, basically, when the cops show up. They attack the cops from behind mm -hmm. and like uh, handcuff them. And, they, oh, and this is what Ice T tells the cops. Oh, uh, sorry, officers. Uh, we're here with the uh, dis assistant district attorney's club. And uh, if you don't stay put, we're going to club you or something yeah, like yeah, that. Yeah. It's real we're, stupid. We're here offering assistance. Yeah, like something. Yeah, yeah. and uh, like Ice-T is like laying down like all this like wiring mm -hmm. around the perimeter to get it connected to the tower. Like where did they get this from anyway? But uh, I guess they just happen to have it. So there's all this like crazy setup. And you think like, oh, this is how they're going to kill Blake. Nah, it just kind of stuns him a little bit. Right. And then, um, and then Nick causes him to fall and get impaled on another spike. Causes, I mean, Nick Nick grabs him by the leg and pulls him down so that he'll fall. Basically kills him on live TV. Yeah, I mean, they wanted, they or, um, Steven D'Souza wanted him to do it. They didn't want the uh, yeah, electricity to fry him and end it. Yeah, because yeah. we should point out, at this point, media have arrived, and the boys let the media, Ice-T's boys let the media through, because that's what they wanted. Right. And I guess they didn't want the cops to interrupt. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know. I guess they thought maybe they would did the cops might shoot Denzel uh, or whatever. But anyways, yeah, Denzel, uh, the whole plan is that they want the media there to see that uh, Dr. Solomon, I mean, Blake uh, <laughs> is indeed. <laughs> that's a third rock reference mm. uh, uh, that Blake is indeed alive still. Uh, Denzel grabs him by his leg while he's stunned. Could have just had him arrested at this point. Yeah, but right. No. 
anyways, he falls through a spike like the uh, like in Mortal Kombat, uh, that stage where you can uppercut a guy who'll like fall down into a oh, spike. The pit, of course, yeah. Yeah, the pit. Thank you. Um, yeah, and that's and then Denzel comes down, and the media wants to interview him. No, the cops aren't going to question him. Apparently, they're not going to arrest him or take him in for questioning or anything. And the media is like, "Hey, Denzel." Uh, what do you what do you got to say? And Denzel's like, uh, "You guys can shove your questions up your ass or something." No, I can't first that. he turns off the camera, and somehow the audio. No, oh, wait, wait, Steve. I am so sorry. Before you get to that, when Lithgow falls through the pit or down into the pit stage of Mortal Kombat, <laughs> do you remember? And he and he gets spiked. Uh-huh. Do you remember what uh, Denzel said? I don't. He says, "Well, Blake, I guess now you get the point." <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, I'm surprised I didn't write that one down. Um, yeah, sorry, conti- but continue now. Yeah. Sorry, I just so basically this is the very end of the movie. Um, the the blonde reporter, who's the same blonde reporter from Die Hard, um, is first she's reporting, and then uh, Nick shows up, sort of looming behind her, and she thinks she's gonna get an exclusive. Uh, Nick turns off the camera, and she's like, "Nick, you can't do that. We're live." And he's like, uh, you know, you can kiss my ass, news. And then that's the end of the. Uh, yeah, he's like, oh, we're live. You can kiss my ass. Yeah, and that that basically, before we finish finish up here, that basically makes me wonder, like, do you think there's an underlying anti-media message in Ricochet? No, I don't think they put that much. Because there's even it. a scene there for no reason. Uh, and this is basically when Nick comes home to collect his wife and kids to to put them in the care of the drug dealers, <laughs> which just saying that just sounds ridiculous. And he sees the news on the TV and then he pulls the TV down. He's like and, and then at the very beginning of the movie, he like tells the, his daughters he's like, you know, don't watch this stuff. It's just make believe. It's not real. Like that could... no well, no what what he what what he told them is that you know how like the shows we watch on TV how that stuff's not real mm-hmm. well what they're saying about me on the news isn't real either yeah because the news the media is full of crap eh right I mean I, I I don't think that that's really what it meant at all I think if there's anything that they were trying to get across message wise is about political corruption and the reason why I say that is because they make a deal several times about Nick Styles not wanting to become a politician. Mm-hmm. Uh, he says he makes a comment about how he doesn't want to line other people's pockets with money. Um, and also we see like the DA, um, uh, you know, his boss is very kind of politically motivated and shrewd and uh-huh. why she makes the decisions she makes. So I, I don't, I, and the reason why I don't think it's like really anti-media is because everything that's been presented to the media, they have no reason not to think that styles is, you know, guilty of all this stuff. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe it's just showing how easily the media can be manipulated. <laughs> I, 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 if you want to say that, I guess, but uh, I, I don't really think that that's what they're going for. I, I, I don't even think really even the political statement that I said, like at most, I don't even think they were doing that. Like, I don't think that there was. This is the kind of movie with that kind of thought. See, I mean, I, I think that Stephen S. D'Souza had like a theme at the beginning. And then it slowly, like, just got buried. It got away from him. It got buried underneath the, the wacky dialogue. Pile of phone books. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. So uh, are you ready to render a verdict on Ricochet? Yeah, let's do All it. Right. 
All right, uh, Mr. Velasquez, do you think that Ricochet should be remembered for all of human history or tossed in the black hole of obscurity never to be heard from again? Hmm, I'm really torn on this one. Um, I, like I said earlier, I definitely think it's too long. It's like an hour and 45 minutes. Uh, this should not have been more than 90 minutes, and I think it could have been shorter. I, I think like an hour and 20 minutes. Um, and, th and that is, I, and I hate when a movie is too long. And I also don't feel like this movie really I, knows what it wants to be. Like, it's not consistent with being over the top. Um, it's not consistent with being serious. Um, and, you know, it might be, too, that maybe Denzel isn't the right guy to, for this role, maybe, you know, because uh, he plays it pretty straight for the most part. And I would almost say Lithgow's not hammy enough. He's kind of like plays it straight, too, even though the stuff he does is ridiculous. Would I recommend this movie to somebody? No, it's pretty, in my opinion, paint by the numbers at times. Um, it's going to be a no for me, I think. Oh, wow. Well, I am disappointed. Like, I thought you were going to love this. Like, just because it's, I think it's plenty over the top. But then, I mean, it's clear that they had, you know, talented people working on it. Um, I love the the over the top direction from Russell Mulcahy, the Stephen S. D'Souza um, dialogue. Um, I do think that um, yeah, that Denzel probably is not the right guy for this role. Although I do think he did a good job. I mean, I thought John Lith. That's almost a problem. Yeah, like, he's like too good. Yes. For this. Yeah, they needed someone hammier. Uh, they like this should have. I, I would argue John Lithgow might be too good for this too. No, I think he was. I think he was perfect. But um, this uh, back when I guess Fred Decker was first uh, pitching this story, he uh, initially wanted it to be a Dirty Harry movie, but then Clint Eastwood turned it down because he said it was too dire. Okay. Um, I mean, it's just a fun fact. Uh, just uh, letting you know. Uh, I maybe maybe uh, Clint Eastwood didn't want to work out for three hours a, a day. I, I think you're probably right. I, but Clint Eastwood in a scene playing basketball with Ice T. <laughs> That's money in the <laughs> bank, know. baby. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think I think they missed out there. I mean, this uh, movie reminded me of a, a lot of the films that like my dad and I used to to watch either in the in the movie theater or rental. Uh, just, you know, over the top, like late 80s, early 90s, uh, excess. Uh, yeah, the um, the plot is a, a little convoluted, but man, there was some zingers in the dialogue. And uh, I mean, I would say watching it a second time, I kind of saw maybe a little more flaws um, this go around, but I really enjoyed it overall. And uh, if you like over the top like 90s like 80s style action i would recommend it but uh looks like we got ourselves a stalemate so here we go this just in those pathetic podcasters known as obscurity now have once again rendered a verdict of no contest that's right a stalemate they've wasted everyone's time they are just as lazy as congress and twice as corrupt boo i say tar and feather them. get out the guillotine boo to stalemate and boo to obscurity now All right. So I, I guess Steve, I, I was just reading that um, I in little like interview where John Lithgow talks about the character from Ricochet, Earl Blake, and uh, I guess he is supposed to be racist because he said um, there is no more hateful or racist role than Earl Talbot Blake. 
I mean, it was just a completely vile, hideous character, and fans always use the word love. I guess it was just because I went all the way with that role. It was one of those instances where you play a role with the specific intention of making everybody hate you, and I just did it fearlessly. And it just made it into this kind of terrifying, overheated drama, right down to Earl's very pointed demise. (laughs) Bravo. (laughs) Bravo, Mr. Lithgow. Um, So, uh, yeah, anything else to add before we sign off here? Uh, no, I think uh, I'm good. I'm sorry I didn't enjoy the, the film. Uh, I, I just wish it would have been like more over the top and uh, less. I, I mean, there's there's a lot of stuff that like is very boring and mundane in the movie. Um, like that courtroom scene, honestly, it's pretty boring. The telethon stuff is pretty boring. Um you know, uh, any time like Blake, is, not Blake, uh, Styles is just chit chatting with the councilman. Mm. Like, I, I don't care. Uh, so that, that that's, eh, yeah. hey, hey, hey! As long as you gave your honest answer, that's all that matters. Hey, it was better than Surf Ninjas uh, Must Die or whatever surf, Nazi Ninjas Must why Die. Why do you have to bring up the Surf Nazis? Why, why, why? <laughs> Um, all right, ladies and gentlemen, I believe that is our show uh, for this week. Um, Make sure you subscribe if you made it all the way this way. Why not? And share and like and all that other great stuff. And um, if you happen to be at uh, Long Beach Comic Con, stop by and say hello. I'll have stickers. And you can pay $500 for the only copy of Physical <laughs> Obscurity Now Media because it's one of I like time. how it's the best of. It says it's the best of, but there's only one. <laughs> show that implies we only had one that was really good right well i wanted to do the young blood one but it was just too big for the cd unfortunately but rob liefeld wouldn't allow it yeah he uh he sent the season to the kibosh and um yes and if you're wondering why i'm going to a comic-con it's to sell escape to earth uh which there will be a promo at the end of the episode so Uh, Until next time, uh, thank you for watching, and we'll see you next Sunday as we continue to unearth even more obscure media only on Obscurity Now. See you next week. I'm having a weird, weird day. My name's Adam. Where I'm from, I'm known as the Zero Thief. Depending on who you ask, some might say I'm the best thief. But believe it or not, even the best screws up every once in a while. And that's what I did, and I had to make a fast getaway. Ended up crash landing on this bizarre planet. Turns out, I didn't get away fast enough. These winged freaks followed me here. It's just us here, zero feet, on this empty backwards planet. So start talking, either to me or my way. Okay, okay, I do have something to tell you. It's about the planet. It's not that empty. Come on, man. I thought you were going to die. Cut me loose. Behind you. Whoa. Thought I was done for. It was going to be a light snack for a snarling creature. But then she showed up, riding on the back of one of those monsters like it was nothing. And with a wave of her hand, the other razor-toothed beast just stomped away. I'd never seen anyone like her before in my life. I thought I'd say something clever. Thanks, uh, have you seen my ship? She gave me a look that said more than words ever could, because I think she was trying to read my mind or something. And from there, things just got even weirder. 
36 pages of insane dinosaur action. Issue 1, available now at reptilianmedia.bigcartel.com. Featuring a variant cover by Sean Forney. Act now while supplies last. You've been enjoying Obscurity Now, a podcast that's recorded live to tape and streamed to Twitch and YouTube. Subscribe so you never miss an episode or hilarious quip. Take us with you by following the download links provided in the show notes to wherever you get podcasts. And take notice of our various social media links. If that's what you're into, I'm not here to judge. And make sure you join us live next week at 6 p.m. Eastern, 3 p.m. Pacific as we continue to discuss more obscure media only on Obscure Now.